Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 152 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we shared our reflections on ABA Tech Show 2015. We started to experiment with an approach I call entering the conversation, where we make note of topics being discussed in the legal tech community and weigh in on them in this podcast. One of these topics lately has been how law blogging has changed in the last decade. Now, that's a topic I think we know something about and can't resist adding our own two cents to that. Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we'll be reflecting on changes in law blogging, where we are, where we think we might be going. In our second segment, we'll discuss what has been referred to as ABA Tech Show's white people problem. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or web observation that you can start using the second this podcast is over. But first, we wanted to talk about recent posts by uh, first Paul Horowitz on the Prof's blog, the excellent law professor blog, and Bob Ambrogi on his law site's blog responding to that post that look at changes in law blogging on the last in the last decade. Uh, neither post has any comments as of this recording that I'm aware of, but then again, uh, Bob chose rather than to reply to it, he chose to write his own post. Um, So we thought we'd enter the conversation here and talk about it a little bit more. Dennis, uh, we routinely see stories that blogging is dying. We we bring this up on the podcast constantly. Is blogging dying or something else dying? We've seen lots of introspectives about how law blogging has changed, whether or not it's got a future. We've seen this since really it began. Since you and I started talking about blogs, and that's almost 11 or 12 years ago, uh, you know, is now a good time for that discussion to start up again? You know, it surprised me that the discussion did start up, but it's, it's actually, for a couple of reasons, it's, it's not a bad time. And, and I'll touch on a, a, a couple of those things. And so I, I think that there are some things that have changed. There's some common elements. I mean, sort of the most interesting part of this discussion is we're actually almost a whole decade away from when the uh, those of us on the Between Lawyers blog, so that's Denise Howell, uh, Marty Schwimmer, Ernie Svensson, you and me, did a roundtable discussion in Law Practice magazine about blogging in 2005 and what the future held. So it's it's sort of weird that 10 years later, sort of looking at the same topics, but I, I think things go sort of full cycle. And that's sort of an interesting thing. And I went back and read that that article, Tom. I don't know whether you got the chance to do that, but uh, we sort of, in a way, looked like we knew what we were talking about. So, <laughs> so, so it's kind of kind of interesting because even at that time, I think we had a little bit of a concern that you know maybe blogging had run its course, and we weren't sure, quite sure where it was going. I mean, we certainly had some ideas, and and then things changed over time. And I I also thought it was sort of interesting to look at it after ten years because I sort of think that in a lot of ways 2005 was was maybe the biggest year of of law blogging there's ever been 
Yeah, I think I, you know, it's we, we've talked about on the podcast before. There was a period of time where I was incredibly statistics oriented about blogs, and I was keeping track of every single blog that had come out for a number of years. And I, I got up to a list of almost four thousand blogs before I just ran out of steam. Um, but I went back tonight to look and see. Uh, how many uh, blogs came or debuted in 2005. And I counted over 600. 600 law blogs started in 2005. What was interesting is that the vast majority of those blogs had already shut down by the time I finished with my spreadsheet, which was maybe 2011, 2012. So the, uh, the majority of those blogs in 2005 hadn't really, hadn't really lasted as long as maybe we expected them to. What I thought was interesting about, uh, about Paul Horwitz's article, he was talking about some of the reasons why it might be reasonable to assume that, that law blogs are petering out or going away or fading away. And, and a couple of them really sort of make sense to me. One is, 10 years wears out a blogger. And you and I, we're going to talk about this later. I can testify that I've been worn out. Uh, you can look at my blog and tell that I've been worn out. It's, uh, it's difficult to maintain a blog with that level of energy over a long extended period of time. Uh, and, and, and I don't get the sense uh, that, uh, and I'd be very interested because one thing we didn't see since we said there's no comments to either of those, and I don't think that I've seen a corresponding blog post by Kevin O'Keefe, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I need to go out and look and see, but I expect for him to weigh on on this. I I don't get the sense that there's been this incredible upsurge of of lawyers who've been blogging. I think that you're right. I think that the upsurge was really in the ten eight to ten years ago, and I don't see that happening these days. I agree with him that group blogs can be administratively difficult to manage, although they tend to even out the burden a little bit. I agree that comments and that dealing with people who respond on the blog are is also exhausting. It's like having it's it's like being a lawyer without paying clients that you're having to deal with all sorts of hostile comments and people saying things and hearing things on Twitter and other places, which really leads to the other issue, which is that that lawyers are finding that other tools, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, other tools tend to be better, easier ways to distribute or disseminate information than blogs are. I think all of which lead up to this sort of general thought that maybe blogs are are going away. I think there's validity to some of those points. I, I don't I don't know how you feel about that, Dennis. Well, I mean, I sort of feel like this the same argument's been made o- over time, and that there's a uh, you know relatively small number. Of, there's always been a relatively small number of blogs. I mean, I, I in in a way, I have the sense now there might be more blogs of by lawyers, or maybe more accurately by law firms, than there have ever been. But but I think it's a matter of change. So if you go back and you look at the the earliest bloggers, I think we were all sort of. It comes down to we were sort of bloggers first, sort of lawyers second. We were really and writers definitely, and, and sort of exploring with things. And the most interesting things we were doing, a lot of times didn't really on, on our blog at least didn't have anything didn't have very much to do with our law practice, and we kind of followed it in different ways. But I think in 2005, there was this sort of fresh burst of energy, and and you saw some things that were really cool that happened, especially by, by some, some younger lawyers. And they, they took blogging um, and aligned it 
to their practice areas and to the things they wanted to do and with really interesting results. I mean, I think of the Rethink IP guys, uh, Doug Sirocco, Matt Buchanan, uh, Steve Nipper, who really built uh, IP practices out of their, their blogs in a lot of ways. Dennis Crouch, another patent lawyer, was an associate at a, at a firm, totally unknown. Now is I have people telling me he's, you know, probably one of the most prominent patent people in the country uh, because of his blog, and he turned that into uh, into the opportunity to become a, a law professor at the University of Missouri. And so, and there's a whole bunch of examples there. And it's sort of like that in 2005, people kind of caught how blogging might work in connection um, with their actual practice. And then there's there's been some evolutions since then. But to me, I would say lately, it's more as I say, the law firm, law firm blogs, the the group blogs, um, and then I think what's missing is that a lot of blogs now, and especially ones that are starting now, I really have no idea who the individual behind them is. Whereas in the early days of blogging, I mean, you knew the people, the individuals who were doing the blogging, and in the earliest days time, it, it was possible that in any given day you could get an email from like all of the prominent law bloggers because there there were just a, a, a few of them. So And now, I couldn't identify, especially in these big firm blogs, which have a lot of great content, I couldn't identify the indiv- individuals writing them or who the, where the voice of those blogs is coming from. And I'll get to that in a second because that's a, a big point, I think, that Bob makes in his post that I want to I talk about. But I want to come back and take a small bit of issue with something you said at the very beginning. You said that, that some of these reasons for, for why blogging might be dying are the same kinds of reasons. And there's two of them that I think aren't. They're not the same reasons. The first one is just the fact of time, is that 10 years ago, we hadn't had people blogging for 10 years. We'd had people blogging for four or five years, and a bunch of them were still dropping out even at that point in time. I think we're starting to get to the point where there's real blog fatigue from those people who were part of that kind of renaissance of blogging in the 2005-2006 space. And I think that, that we're really starting to see, it, I think, starting to see that that level of fatigue may be setting in to a certain extent, or at least it makes sense to me. The other one that I think is completely different is social media, is that social media now is available as a tool. And 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 as one of the bloggers posted on the Pross blog, he says, he it was the quote is that the party is elsewhere, that the blog is not the place to have the discussion that social media is. And you and I have talked on several podcasts about the idea that the blog should really be the home base. It should be the place where you want people to go back and see the content that you have and the things you want to tell people about and the stuff that you really think is important and that you use social media, your Facebook and your Twitter and your LinkedIn and whatever, Google+, you use that as your outpost to drive people back. I think it's having somewhat of, of an opposite effect because all of those other tools are so much easier because people are thinking in terms of 140 characters. They're thinking in terms of a short Facebook post. They're thinking in terms of just something short on on LinkedIn to type to people. I was talking to someone the other day who said, I really only digest things in terms of 140 to 160 characters. It's just easier for me to do. And so I think that that's a lot to do with it, is that people, lawyers are looking at 
these other forms of social media and saying, I can do a better job of, and I just have, it, it's better use of my time to, uh, to use these tools than, uh, than to sit and spend the time trying to think of a blog post and to sit there and write it. Uh, I just don't have the time or the energy to do that. Right. And I, I always felt that blogging was a writer's medium and it was difficult. And that's what I always told people, that people who did well in blogging were, were writers at, at heart. And that, that's certainly not every, every lawyer. And I think you're right about uh, whether it's just social media or whether it's other media is that there are alternatives to blogging that make a lot of sense. Like I, I think now... I just have the feeling that podcasts are absolutely exploding, that there's tons and tons of new podcasts, and it's hard for me to keep up with them. And so I would say, if you ask me why am I not writing a lot on my blog, I would say because this podcast is the main vehicle I have for certain ideas that I used to write about on my blog. And, and this podcast is way better for me and way more enjoyable than, than writing on the, on the blog. You also have blog bloggers who've written books. And Tom, as uh, you will agree, writing a book just takes it out of you for, for doing for doing other writing. If you have a regular columns, which both you you and I do, then that also makes it hard to do blogging. So, uh, And then you're right, social media is way easier. I mean, I just tweet when I can't think of something to tweet even. I just retweet other things. And so I have a presence there. Um, whereas, you, you know, when I look at my you know to-do list that says write a blog post tonight, I just I go, boy, I don't even know. I mean, if I have ideas, I go, when am I going to sit down and, you know, with sort of a half an hour or whatever, 15 minutes to half an hour to sit down and write something that's pretty succinct that kind of starts things up. So I think that's – so you have that on the media side. And then also, I mean, I always – I had a really long conversation with Kevin O'Keefe at, at Tech Show, and I'm always struck every time I talk with Kevin about how he sees the conversation as being the key element of using the internet. And so it's the interaction with people and it's the conversation that you have. Uh, and so I think that, as you said, that I think it's harder for people to find blogs. I think there are better ways to initiate conversation. Sometimes that could be Twitter, that can be Facebook, that can be other things. But I think the blog as being the main vehicle that you had discussions around as it was, say, you know, 12, 13 years ago, when we started and certainly up to year 10 and maybe, you know, 10 years ago and, and beyond that a little bit. The blogs were the way that, that you, you had these conversations. And now I think there's less of it. And in a way, both the, uh, the earlier blog post that we talked about, about the human element of technology. And this one, one of the things we pointed out was there were basically no comments on those posts. Right. And, you know, I you, you mentioned that podcasting is one reason why you're not doing as many posts. For me, for me, it really comes down to just lacking the energy to do it. I am constantly keeping up with what's going on in both legal technology and the technology world, and I'm always finding great ideas for a blog post. And then when it's time to sit down, I just find it's easier to find something better to do. I just, I can't bring myself to actually do it. And that's killing me because I really want to do this. And I suppose that it's really, this it's, this is just sort of the writer's dilemma is forcing myself to sit down and do it, take the time to do it. And I really, really ought to. I guess I want to 
talk real quick about maybe the future and whether we agree with the comments. I mean, I think that the Prof's blog seems kind of sad. They, they may not be totally pessimistic about it, but they don't seem real enthusiastic about the future of law blogs. Bob Ambrogi, on the other hand, is really enthusiastic, and, and he, he even says that law blogs are thriving. But the first two examples he gives for that are, one, that big firms have paid writers producing blog content, and two, marketing and PR firms send canned content to law firms. Um, now, he says some other reasons why they're thriving, but not one reason in there are that lawyers are talking about the things that interest them as lawyers or about impressing people about what their experience as lawyers and are not having conversations with other people on legal topics. It sounds to me like we're really getting away from the lawyer as the blogger. We're more towards the blog as a marketing tool driven by marketers. And if that's thriving, I don't know that I want to, I don't want to, I'm not sure that I want to really be a part of that kind of thriving. I really thought it was a lot more interesting when it was lawyers driving the conversation and not marketers. Dennis, what do you think about the future? Well, I mean, I, I think it would be really interesting for our listeners to go back and find that uh, 2005 Between Lawyers roundtable article that we did. And we may very well post that in the show notes. And so I'm, I guess that's a hint to you, Tom, to put that in the show notes. But I, I go back to a couple things. Okay, so Dave Weiner, sort of the, the godfather of, of blogging, always defined blogging as the unedited voice of a person. And so that was the cool thing about blogging. So you had your own printing press, you could get your message out, you could find, find your own voice. And so I think as blogs become more specialized and more professionalized, as you described, we've moved away from that. And so I think where the potential with blogs still exists for me and where we're maybe not doing as great a job as we could have is what I call speed to publication. So when you wrote a blog post, you put it up and it was out and people could see it right away. So you didn't have to wait you know, some period of time for a newsletter to go out. You didn't have to wait, you know, a couple of months for a magazine article to come out or a year or more for a book to come out. And so that lawyers engaged in this conversation by being helpful, by talking about new important cases, new laws, things like that. Uh, and they could do it really quickly. And so people, I, I mean, I think in the earliest days, you sort of had a, a really strong non-lawyer audience in, in a lot of the legal blogs. I think it's just become super specialized and and maybe the focus has become other lawyers uh, to weigh. And, and also that sort of professional marketing thing where it's kind of hard to say like, oh, do I really want to follow this on a regular basis? And something that's sort of been SEO optimized and people choose the keywords and what they say instead of just letting it go. I, I, I just remember so many early bloggers, even those who were really focused on, on legal specific topics for their blogs said that you know, like what really changed things for them was like maybe be one night they were up late and they were just writing and they just wrote what was ever on their mind and they were like should I post this or not and then they posted it and they were afraid what was going to happen and it turned out that people got in touch with them and they liked what they're saying and they liked them and and you know it could be the work came out of that or the opportunities came out of that but certainly friendships and other other conversation came out of that and that's where I think we've moved away from and that's possibly why some you know people are wondering where blogging is is going 
And I think that's also why podcasting, uh, you know, maybe becoming more of an interesting area, because I think you can really find your own voice, talk about what you want. And for people who aren't writers first, podcasting has become really interesting. Same with social media. So there's always going to be other other outlets. And, and I think that's it's text, you know, blogging is text, it's writing, um, and it's regular content, and not everybody can do that. So I, th- I think there's a lot of poss- you know, potential there, but I think it's a, a good time to, to rethink what blogging, blogging is. And, you know, Tom, in the case of you and me, it seems like we spent the last two years trying to figure out where our blogs are going, but I, I know we'll get to figure out one of these days. One of these days, but not before the end of this segment. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And we're entering into another conversation. So Gina Cho started up his conversation at an after tech show with her post on the Above the Law blog called The ABA Tech Show, A White Man Affair. The money quote that got people talking was, I'll just come out and say it. The ABA Tech Show has a white people problem. There is very little racial diversity. While she noted, I only post this as an observation and not as a criticism, and that uh, she was looking forward to coming back to Tech Show next year, this certainly started some conversations. She and Keith Lee also recorded an episode of their Resilient Lawyer podcast called ABA Tech Show 2015 Pod Blast Wrap-Up Tech Show Has a White People Problem that I personally enjoyed and can certainly recommend the podcast, which goes into the the topic in more detail, both uh, the original event that sort of gave rise to the post and then uh, the feedback that, uh, that Gina got after that. Tom, I don't know whether this is an inflammatory uh, topic, but certainly controversial topic, and but a, a, I think a really important topic. So, what are your thoughts? So, what was interesting about this, and then I, I think it was also uh, covered a little bit on Lawyerist, um, was that both both posters, I think that uh, that Sam Glover and Gina Cho both said, we don't mean this as criticism, mostly just as an observation. But I think it highlights a, an interesting issue. And so I went in, I wanted to, to set out, you know, once and for all, what are the real numbers that we have? So I went and I looked at the at the faculty, I counted 70 faculty members total of those um, they're right. 65% are white males, 25% are white females, uh, 8% are females and males of other ethnicities. Interestingly, about 8% are also gay and lesbian. So there is at least also that diversity present in the in the tech show faculty, but no getting around the fact that predominantly white and male. 
Um, I think it's a good observation that, that, that that's happening, but I'll also come back and say that it's not really a new observation. I, I you know, Dennis, when you and I served on the tech show board, uh, we were on the tech show board beginning as early as, I don't know, 2004, 2005, and this was very much an issue back then, and it has remained an issue that we haven't, we've always, I think the boards have always struggled to find. And so I think that the article title really should have been instead of you know ABA Tech Show has a as a white man problem it really should be that legal technology has a white person problem i think that this is an industry issue frankly i, I don't have specific numbers i may be wrong if somebody wants to contact me through the podcast page i'm happy to talk about it but every time we look to the industry to try and find new and interesting voices or minds in technology it is, it is really difficult to find diverse voices in that mix. I agree that there's a lot of diversity. I, I think that it's always been a challenge. So I'm going to throw out to listeners. I'm going to say, help us identify those diverse legal technology experts. We've struggled. Uh, I know when I was on the board, it was hard. I know the Tech Show board struggles to find individuals. Um, if, if you've got individuals that you think make good, uh, would make good speakers, good experts on legal technology, uh, I'm going to give you a ton of ways to contact us at the end of the podcast. I'm interested to know so that we can pass that along to the tech show board because I I tend to agree that it's an issue but it's been an issue for a long time and I've always struggled with the with the right way to deal with this I don't know about you Dennis so a couple of things on this and, and I think you're right the numbers the numbers don't lie and and people who know me know over the last you know however many years I will often say that when when I'm at a room or I'm at a place like tech show and I feel like I'm one of the younger people there that it makes me, it makes me wonder if we can do a better job on, on some of these things. There are difficulties. And so I, I think that what's tough when you, when you see it posed in this way, first of all, I think it's a really good thing. Cause I, I think you need to starkly bring up the issue, but I think that, you know, sometimes you feel like, of. Oh, you know, people don't realize a lot of effort goes into this, and it's not like other people don't notice the same thing. So, a couple of comments on the story. So, when I read the story, what I realized was that sort of the pivotal moment of Gina's realization that she was in a room basically of all white people at this, uh, you know, at essentially a reception in a very fancy place in the hotel. And she was really enthused to see. Uh, her friend Tim Barron come in into the room to kind of help with diversity there. I realized, Tom, I think both you and I probably walked in the door with Tim. So it's, it's, it was kind of an odd moment for me when I read that in the story because I remember the moment of that that was happening. And I, I can't deny I, I don't have didn't have basically the same same feeling there, um, you know, at Tech Show. You know, and I, I struggle with it. So I've tried to do a couple things, and I think there's I have a couple ideas for people. So what I decided a few years ago was I'm going to do my darndest, and I've done a pretty good job of this of saying I'm not going to be on a panel where there are just all middle aged white guys. I mean, I just I can't do it any, that anymore. That doesn't make sense. That's not a service to anybody, especially the audience. 
So I try to do that, and that's sort of my own thing. But I think in terms of tech show and conferences, and and I think it's tech show is a really great opportunity for for people. So if you want to do some things and to to improve the diversity of tech show. At least last year, I know that, Tom, they solicited uh, proposals, and you and I s- submitted a proposal, which unfortunately was, was turned down in one case. But So even at this point, I submit the proposals. So I, I would say, like, here's this great opportunity to help diversify speakers by saying, okay, I was going to submit a proposal. I think there's sort of a villain in the piece in, in, in a structural way that uh, at Tech Show, you always require – speakers to speak on two topics. And so somebody could be really strong on one topic, but then not have a second topic or have a really weak second topic. And that that sometimes hurts. So I think that when you submit proposals, try and, and you make inquiries about potentially speaking at Tech Show, I think you want to give people like three or four different subject options that you could talk about. And then the other thing is I would look at the Law Technology Today blog as a great opportunity for the diverse legal technology people to get visibility and a place to to show what they can do and have that published in the ABA. And you're definitely going to get the attention of people, and that will make it smoother for you to become a speaker at Tech Show, which then I think that gives you entree to meeting more people and to being in the place where you can actually make some changes. So I think it's a great, I I think this is going to, this post, I, I think, I really do take it as an observation more so than a criticism, and I think it's it's going to potentially, if people people work with it, uh, will be a springboard to some some definite improvement in the numbers. Now it's time for our parting chats at one tip website or observation you can use a second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So I have a Dropbox tip for this podcast. Uh, Dropbox is has been slowly moving away from just being that company that uh, will store your documents in the cloud, and they're trying to be a company that really helps you manage your documents better, and they've recently rolled out the ability to add comments on Dropbox files. A while back, uh, they gave you the ability to actually edit Microsoft Office files while in Dropbox, which is really helpful, but now when you share, uh, when you share a document with someone and you you open that document up in the Dropbox website, you'll have a comment pane to the side where you can have a conversation and discuss a document. You can actually bring in anybody to the conversation, even if they don't use Dropbox, with a link that takes them straight to the file. So uh, it's a really interesting uh, uh, and new use of Dropbox. If you happen to be a Dropbox user, give it a shot and give it a try. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Dennis. I got a couple of things uh, this time. So Legal Talk Network, that uh, produces our show, has a, a great series called uh, Special Reports from Legal Conferences. And there's a whole bunch of uh, podcast interviews from ABA Tech Show that, that I found really enjoyable. So people should take a look at that. Our friend Neil Squalante, a technolawyer, pointed us to a, a technolawyer research report called The Egg Theory, What Clients Really Want from from Their Lawyers. Uh, definitely worth checking that out. And then uh, listening to a podcast in, uh, where somebody's talking about something called the 10 times rule or the 10x rule. Uh, a guy named Grant Cardone uh, wrote a book on this. And I, 
I just found this really interesting. So when people ask me, so if people saw me at the, when I was on the panel at the Appathon at, at Tech Show, I revealed one of my secrets in innovation that I always like to do the flip on things. So when I'm not sure how something's going to work, I try to say, okay, if we just flip around, how is that going to work? If So you say like, I'm not really sure that I can get lawyers to use this service. I would say, can I get the lawyer's clients to use it? And does that become make the idea more attractive in some ways? So the flip thing is one thing, but the 10X rule is, is to me, uh, potentially even more interesting. So it's saying, if we we're trying to get 10% improvement, then we'll make little tweaks and changes and, and do evolution. But, uh, but if we say we want to make things 10 times better, then we really have to rethink how we're doing things, change a lot of the, the assumptions. And so if you say, oh, I would like to make a million dollars a year, then you would say, oh, I will do these things. But if you're saying I would like to make $10 million a year, then that becomes everything that you do and the way you think about what it would take you to get there changes the thinking. And so not necessarily you're going to make a million dollars a year, $10 million a year, but the thought process and what you decide to do could become way different. And so uh, I find myself a lot of times saying, okay, what would the 10X, what would be an example of 10X for me? And I find myself saying more and more often, I would like to find ways to take lawyers out of the equation where lawyers don't need to be in the equation. And I think that's an example of 10x thinking. So um, just that 10x rule is something that I would uh, suggest people give some thought to. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, uh, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet. I'm at Tom Mile and Dennis is at Dennis Kennedy. So until the next podcast, I am Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by writing a review and rating us on iTunes. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.